Thank you, Rick and Nancy. We'll be reading this morning from Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. We want to consider a new thing. That is uh, the Father of the Year Award here at Brister Baptist Church. We're going to think about the Father of the Year Award. But first of all, we always do this every year with the mothers and the fathers, is... Uh, before we recognize all of the fathers, do we have a first-time father? This is your very first Father's Day in the building today. No first-time fathers? Do I have a first-time grandfather in the building today? Okay. First-time grandfather? Stand up, Russell. Now look at that guy. You can tell he looks grandfatherly already. Russell, first-time grandfather. All right, all fathers then, I want you to stand up. All the daddies in the building, everybody stand up. Those of you are able to stand. Some of you, of course, there we go. Keep on standing. I think we need to give these guys a hand. <clears throat> Happy Father's Day to you. You can be seated. You know, if you, if you read through the Bible and you want a, a good Bible reading strategy to just kind of know where to go and where to read, uh, we've mentioned this before, but the book of Proverbs has 31 chapters. And if you read a chapter a day, then on the long months, you will read all 31, and then you start back over. So in a period of a year, you would read pretty much the book of Proverbs 12 times over. Now, it's important to know you're not going to get bored because those are little bite-sized pieces of information in the book of Proverbs. And and there's a lot of wisdom in the book of Proverbs, but let me tell you how wise the writer of the book of Proverbs is. Today is the 17th, and in the 17th chapter of the book of Proverbs, we read this, children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. Here it is, Father's Day, and can you think of any Truer words, Russell, than children's children or the crown of old men. Well, I guess we've arrived when we have. So it talks about grandchildren and how grandchildren change your whole perspective of life. And the crown of old men, that is, that's the joy. That's the achievement. That's, that's one of life's great accomplishments is grandchildren. But then you can't have grandchildren until you have children. So we have to look at children in the mix as well. And so as we look at Father's Day, from my perspective, of course, I'm, I'm grateful to be a, a granddaddy, but also I'm proud of my children. I'm proud of both of my boys, and both of them are here today. I'm proud of the fact that they brought some girls into the mix when they married and brought some daughters-in-law. They are the crown of this old man. Uh, and also, of course, I'm proud of the men they've become. I'm proud of what they do and what they are. But, of course, we have to look at the whole equation. We never could have the crown of children's children or children without the mother of our children. And I'm grateful for the mother of my children and uh, how all of this makes our home complete. But now we, we turn the attention. And it says, and the glory of children is their father. And 
I can testify to the fact the word glory means the pride of children or their father. One scholar said it this way, is children find their sense of self-worth and place in life through their daddy. And I'm thankful for the daddy that God gave to me. I'm looking around the building, and I know that some of you lost your daddy since last Father's Day. I'm aware of that. Several of our people did. Some of us lost our daddy several years ago, but you still miss him just the same, don't you? And even though you may have lost your dad to death this year or several years ago, you're always proud of your daddy, aren't you? And your daddy is always part of who you are. And I look back on my daddy, Ralph Goble, and I appreciate the one thing that Ralph Goble taught me is patience. In that, I don't know how it is with twin girls, but with twin boys, you had to be patient. And Ralph Goble was a patient man, but you know, Keith and I always had a way of finding the end of that patience. Always did. But you had, but you had to go a long way to find it, but once you found it, you knew it. He was a no-nonsense type of guy. He taught me patience in watching him deal with, with uh, Keith and I, and then there's Amy in the mix, uh, two years older, uh, it was a pretty busy household uh, all the way up, especially through our teenage years. Uh, and he taught us patience. I, I can't remember how many fenders we replaced on that uh, LTD Classic that was the family car. We were constantly running into things and had fender benders and so forth. Ralph was patient through all those teenage years. He taught me patience in that he taught me how to squirrel hunt. And the way he taught me how to squirrel hunt is he would take us off to Corny Bottoms down there below Atlanta. And, and he taught me patience in that he would say, sit here under this tree. And I was just like going into the seventh grade or the eighth grade. Sit here under this tree and watch. And if you be real still, the squirrels would come out. Then Ralph would disappear. He would walk away and do his own squirrel hunting. I had no choice but to sit there because I had no idea how to get out. And so I, I learned patience. He would drop me off at the deer stand. That's when we ran dogs. He would say, here's your deer stand. And, you know, you'd have, you'd have a, a coal bucket in there for charcoal, and you'd, you'd light a fire, and you'd, you'd be warm waiting on the dogs to run. Then he would drive away and get to his own deer stand. I had no choice but to stay there. It was a long way back to the deer camp. About noon, Ralph would show up again. I learned how to stay on the deer stand until noon. I don't do that anymore because I can get off the deer stand now and get somewhere. But I appreciate he was in the oil and gas business. And you know in the oil and gas business, when the phone rings, things need to happen now. And here's one thing he taught me seriously is how to stay with a job and get it done no matter what it takes. He would sometimes go to babysit the rig, as he said, because he was a, a consultant. And he would be there until that job was done. It might be done at the end of the day. It might be done at the end of the week. But he knew what it took to get the job done. He would stay there, make whatever phone calls had to make, spent whatever money had to be spent, because if you have a job to do, it was his philosophy. You do it and you do it well, and you complete the job. That's what I learned from Ralph Goble, 
And I can say the book of Solomon, the, the, the uh, book of uh, Proverbs written by Solomon, children's children, the crown of old men. Children are the crown of their daddies. But then again, the glory of children is their father. And so we celebrate our fathers. Happy Father's Day to all of you. And as a father, I, I'm just thankful that God has given me the privilege to be a dad uh, and to be a granddad and to be honored on this special day. And let's look this morning in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. What man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, Give good things to those who ask him. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth of your word. And we thank you for family. We thank you for fathers. And I thank you for fatherhood. But Father, we ask as we look at this passage of scripture, teach us the things we need to know about you and the things we need to know about ourselves and the beauty of what we see in the words of Jesus today. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> the Father of the Year Award. Now, if we were to award a Father of the Year, there'd be quite a bit of criterion. And I'm going to say this would be a difficult decision to make if we were to choose among ourselves. Because I would think, and I would certainly hope, that everybody would say, my daddy needs to get the Father of the Year award, and here's the reason why. Who would you award it to? So it'd be a difficult award to hand out among ourselves. However, we obviously know that the award for the Father of the Year goes to our Heavenly Father. And we're celebrating the Father of the Year of every year as we look in this passage of Scripture. And Jesus teaches us some things about our Heavenly Father. We can't go through the whole scriptural study of the fatherhood of God, but I want to look at some high points that I think we can all agree with is why God gets the Father of the Year award. First of all, God loves us even when we are at our weakness. If you'll turn back to the 103rd Psalm, verse 11. The 103rd Psalm, verse 11. The 103rd Psalm, verse 11, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. 
As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes, and the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And the place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. Like a father pities his children, the Lord pities those that fear him, for he remembers that we are dust. Now the word pity here makes us feel like perhaps God's feeling sorry for us. Like a father feels sorry for his children. Though the word pity here does not necessarily mean he feels sorry for us or he feels empathy for us or he's sad that we're weak. The word here actually in the original Hebrew, and I like this rendition of it, like a father cherishes his children. Like a father cherishes his children, the Lord cherishes us for he knows our frame and remembers what? That we're dust. In our weakest times, God loves us. And that is when we need the love of God the most. Even Jesus said to the men who possibly at that time should have been the strongest men on the planet, the disciples, specifically to the big three, Peter, James, and John, the strongest of the strong. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You'd better pray. The flesh is weak. And he said that to the strongest men on the planet at that time, spiritually. The flesh is weak. So we understand we are weak. As with every child, there's so much we can't do for ourselves. When we're first born, when we're young, as we're growing up, despite our best intentions, there's a lot we can't do for ourselves. Even though sometimes a child may think they can do something themselves. Me do it. Well, sometimes the child can. Most times the small child can't. But even though there's so much our children couldn't do for themselves, we loved them, didn't we? We loved them. The grandchildren, we love them. Even though they can't do something for themselves, we we do what we can do for them. What they could never do to take care of themselves, parents do. And the psalmist said, that's how God is. He loves us even at our weakest. But then Jesus takes it a step further in Luke chapter 15. Very familiar passage of scripture. Yes, we've looked at it when it comes to Father's Day, but we want to look at another father. I would suppose this guy would get the Father of the Year award in his day. And as in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. I want to read the first part of this parable, and then I'll give you the point. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. 
So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land. He began to be in want. And he went out and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him to his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. No one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they begin to be merry. You know the passage of scripture. You know the story. And here's the point. God loves us not only when we're at our weakest. God loves us when we are at our ugliest. And this is an ugly picture of a man, a young man, who told his daddy, I want my inheritance now, and I want it now. Now, this would have put the family farm in jeopardy because the inheritance, of course, was meant to be distributed after the death of the father. For him to say, I want my inheritance now, takes away a lot of capital of the family farm. Dad gives it to him anyway. Then he goes out as far as he can go, and he blows it all. The family inheritance. Life savings. Operational capital for the farm. He blows it all with prodigal. That word means wasteful. I think the King James says riotous living. We all know he squandered it living a very ugly lifestyle. And then he hits rock bottom. And he says, I'm going back home to daddy. And all he wanted to offer is to be a servant. And it says, daddy ran to him. Now, he was ugly in a lot of ways. He was ugly, of course, in his personality because he had squandered his dad's hard-earned money and now he's coming home. He was ugly physically because you remember he had been in the field feeding pigs and he had been living with the pigs. The man had to smell hideous and daddy still came and wrapped him up in his big arms of love and hugged him. That's the kind of father we have. He loves us even when we're ugly. When we're ugly spiritually, God still loves us. This was a very selfish, self-centered, impatient individual, and his daddy still loves him. But there's another brother. 
There's some more ugliness here. We continue. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard the music and dancing. He called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come because he has received him safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. And he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. Never transgressed at your commandment any time. And you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as this, soon as this, your son, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you've killed the fatted calf. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. It is right that we should make merry and be glad. Your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Now you have to understand, to ask the question, who's uglier here? The younger brother who ran away and blew the money, or the older brother who can't even be happy because his brother has come home safe and sound. He is unforgiving, he is bitter, and he's angry. And you know who he's mad at? Daddy. He's mad at Daddy because Daddy's throwing a party and Daddy loves this son. And even though the whole farm is still his, he's upset because daddy's bestowing love on this brother. Did you catch what daddy said? Everything I have is yours. But he can't see it because he's mad at younger brother. Because he's mad at younger brother, he's mad at daddy. And all he does is sew up and pout, carry a grudge. He's bitter. He's angry. He's unforgiving. Wouldn't go into the party. What does daddy do? Comes out to him. Did you catch that? Daddy goes to the younger brother and gives him a bear hug. Daddy goes out to the older brother, and he didn't have to do that. He could have let him stay outside and pout. Let him stay out there. But he loved both of them. And he loved both of them, even at their ugliest, and he loves us, even at our ugliest. Because, you know, sin's in all of our heart, isn't it? It may be different with each one of us, like these brothers, but there's some ugliness here. And God loves us anyway. And the third thing we notice about God, and don't miss this one. God wants to hear from us. Jesus starts this little parable here by saying, Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. Now, to understand exactly what he's saying, you have to go back to the original language. And in the original language, the, ver the verb tense is this way. It's not just ask and it will be given. That kind of sounds like a one-time deal. It says, keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and it will be open. Now, why is it said that way? It's said that way not because God is hard of hearing. It is said that way because we are prone to give up on God. And our lifestyle should be that we're constantly asking God. Now what does that mean? That means that we're constantly praying. The Father 
loves us even at our weakness. The Father loves us even at our ugliness. And the Father wants to hear from us. Not because he doesn't know what's going on. In this same sermon, back in chapter 6, verse 8. Therefore, don't be like them. Your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Now, He says this again in verse 32. After all these things the Gentiles seek, your heavenly Father, that you have need of all these things. Your Father knows you have need of these things. So we understand God knows what we need. He does not need the information, but He wants to hear from us. And he wants to hear from us continually. Keep on asking. Because we are prone many times to stop talking to God. And Jesus knows that. So he said, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And the rest of this parable tells us he knows what we need even when we don't. Now, the list of these requests may confuse us until we do a little history lesson on the culture. He says, what man is there among you if his son asked for bread, would, you, would he give him a stone? Now, why would he say that? Well, you have to understand, the bread that they ate there was not the sliced wonder bread that we have today. It was in little, small, round, flat cakes like a tortilla or like pita bread and it was the same color as the tan stones that you would find so a child would go out and see this rock and this rock would be the same size the same color and about the same shape as the bread that he knew back home so the son or this child would say I want some bread and be heading for that because it looks so much like the real thing and he said if he asked for a fish, would you give him a serpent? He was talking about looking in the water, seeing a fish from the top, and a fish not that wide, swimming through the water, would look exactly like an eel swimming through the water, or a water snake swimming through the water. And the kid says, I want that. Well, all he sees is something that looks like something he wants, but it's not exactly what he wants. Now, Luke adds something else. In Luke chapter 11, he adds a, a scorpion. He says, if your child asks for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? Well, scorpions over there, when they are frightened, would roll up and fold up into a, a ball. And all you would see was that very small round back of the scorpion, kind of like a crawfish all crumpled up. And it was the same color as an egg. So a kid says, I want that. And so he's reaching for it. And daddy says, no, you can't have that. I'm not giving you that. Now, it says, if you look at, at the, the parable, like the kid asks for a piece of bread and the dad, dad goes in the yard and gives him a rock. He says, what of you would do that? But if you look at the application, more than likely it's saying the kid's asking for what he thinks is bread. Daddy knows a lot better, doesn't he? He knows that the kid's going to break a tooth on that. You can't eat that. To the kid, it's confusing. Why won't daddy give me the bread? Because that's not the real thing. Let me give you what's best for you. Why won't he let me have the fish? Because that's dangerous. 
Why won't he let me have the egg? Because that egg could hurt you. We ask and we pray. And we say, why doesn't God give me what I want? He said, how much more will your father give good things to the people who ask him? Who knows what's really good for us? It's not us, is it? And he said, sometimes we ask for things because we just know that's the real thing. Daddy knows what's better, doesn't he? And God's never going to give us something that's going to hurt us. When we ask him and pray, he's going to give us good. And what's good is what he knows is good, not what we've decided is good. Because sometimes what I want, not the best thing for me. But God knows what the best thing for me is. You see, that's the thing about God. He's God and I'm not. Therefore, he's going to know a whole lot more about the situation than I do. So therefore, when I ask him for something, he's going to give me what is best. He says, keep on asking. How do we know that? We know that because about 2,000 years ago, God did give us the best. In Jesus Christ. Didn't the Apostle Paul say it this way? He who spared not his own son. Don't you think he'll freely give you the other good things? He spared not his best. Is there, is there anything else better than that? Absolutely not. So we trust him to give us the best things. Because he's already showed us when he gave us his best through Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, we have a relationship with the God of the universe and can call him Daddy and call him Father. And I think we can all agree when it comes to the Father of the Year Award, he gets it, doesn't he? He gets it. We prepare for an invitational hymn.